What is good, everybody? Yo, welcome to the Uncensored Christian Podcast, where we help real people with real problems know the real God. Hey, if you enjoy this message, share this with your friends because the gospel is not meant to be kept to ourselves. And there is a link down below if you would like to give. Your gifts really do help this podcast reach more people all around the world. I hope you enjoy this message. All right, so we are looking at the end of Romans chapter 5, and we're going through verses 12 through 19, and there's going to be a question that pops up that I think we really need to look into and try and figure out. And this is the question of, are we born sinners? Like, like, like when we're born, are we just automatically born guilty and born with sin? Or are we born with a sin nature? Or is it both? These are really important questions that I think that we need to flesh out here. And the question comes from Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And throughout the scripture study, I'm going to do the best I can to try and break down the different ideas and to try and answer them so we can find some clarity on what Paul is trying to teach us here. So we're going to hop straight into this study. We're going to start in verse 12 and we're going to end in verse 19. So let's get into it. Paul says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Okay. So the question that arises is, are we born with sin? Are we sinners at birth? And this question comes from the doctrine called original sin. You may have heard this in your church or some type of uh, message that because Adam sinned, the guilt that he incurred just automatically comes to all that descend from him, which would mean all humanity, that when we are born, we are born sinners. In verse 12 is the verse that's kind of like the go-to verse for this doctrine of original sin. And the tradition, like I said, is that Adam sinned, he became guilty before God, and his guilt was transmitted to all humans thereafter. But I think it's important for us to ask the question, where did this tradition occur? Where did this idea come from? Well, it came from a man named St. Augustine. Now, St. Augustine was a great theologian, a great philosopher. He did so many amazing things for Christianity and for the church, and he lived around 300 to 400 AD. So, how did he get this idea of original sin? Where did this come from? And I'm not talking about the idea that there was a first sin. We all acknowledge that there was a first original sin, but this view is that our current fall condition, right? The the state that we live in where we all sin and you know we, we end up dying because of it. Is this because we share Adam's guilt? That that that's the idea that Saint Augustine put forward in the doctrine of original sin. So how did he come to this understanding? How did he come to this conclusion? Well, Augustine was working, unfortunately, with a poor Latin translation of Romans 5, verse 12, and he ended up translating the word because to the word in whom. So, so just to clarify, 
The verse in our modern translation says this, So death spread to all men because all sinned. But the way that St. Augustine translated it, based off this poor Latin translation that he had, was to say, So death spread to all men in whom all sinned. So Augustine is thinking that somehow, according to his translation, that somehow we all experience death because we all sinned with Adam. That when Adam committed that first original sin, somehow we were in Adam and we sinned with him. That's the basis for this doctrine of original sin. Now, before we get too far into this, we need to come to a conclusion of what type of death is Paul talking about here? Is he talking about spiritual death or is he talking about physical death? Well, we can tell from the context of what Paul is talking about. It seems clear that he's talking about physical death because he's referencing Adam. He's referencing the original fall of man when Adam and Eve ate from the tree and they sinned against God. And what happened is, as you see in Genesis 3, is when God found this out, he said, oh, snap, we can't have them in the garden anymore because if they eat from the tree of life, they will have this knowledge and they will be immortal. They will live forever. So once they left the garden and they were no longer in the vicinity of the tree of life, they became mortal. So because of that, we all face mortality. And so I I truly do believe that Paul is talking about physical death in this particular instance. Now, back to original sin. Dr. Michael Heiser poses a great question to the tradition of original sin. And once again, this original sin is the idea that guilt or sin is being inherited because somehow we sinned with Adam. And that's the result of all the death that we see and that we face. And he says this, he says, if all humans since Adam inherited Adam's guilt, however that happens, then why does Jesus get off the hook? He is 100% human in biblical theology. His genealogy goes straight back to Adam. And he's referencing Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through 38, where Luke gives us a genealogy of Jesus that leads all the way back to Adam. So this poses a really hard to reconcile question to this traditional understanding of verse 12 in the lens of original sin. How is it then that if we take original sin to be true, how is it then that Jesus can be 100% man, like we believe he was in the incarnation, but also God? How is it that he can descend from Adam like everyone else has, but he's somehow sinless? He's somehow not guilty of Adam's sin if we take original sin to be true. That's a hard question to reconcile. And so I think in order for us to truly understand what Paul is saying, we have to get a grip of the translation of the Greek. We have to get a grip of what Paul was actually saying. So we know that Augustine was working from a flawed translation, and that's how he came to his conclusion. So what's the right translation? Well, you may know that in almost all translations that you can find on the Bible, if you have like the Bible app or you go online, all the main popular ones, when they render verse 12, they will say that death spread to all men because all sinned. Now this phrase, because all sinned, this comes from the Greek preposition epi. Now this preposition can be translated a few different ways. It can be translated to mean because, like how most modern translations have it. And this would imply that we die because we all sin. And there is a part of that that I I do agree with, 
And that does make sense, and and I don't see any problem with that. But there is one problem that, that's kind of tough for us to face. It is when we start talking about the death of infants and children. Those that we would believe do not have a rational ability to sin against God because they simply don't understand. So what do we do with that? If if we believe that death only comes because all sin, then in a sense we're implying that the reason why people die, whether they are adults or infants or children, is because they have some sort of sin. But how do we deal with that when it comes to the death of infants and children? And, and oftentimes, pastors and, and people will try and give answers the best that they can, understandably. But these answers, unfortunately, they're extra biblical. These answers are never found in the text. But that is not to say that there aren't some plausible answers. One plausible answer that I found is the idea that God has this middle knowledge, that if God is omniscient, like we believe he is, all-knowing, all-powerful and all-knowing, that God would know that when these infants or children passed away, he would know what they would have chose had they had the chance to live. He would have known if they would have uh, chose to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior or reject the gospel, and then that is how their salvation would be parsed out. But once again, the problem with that is that's nowhere to be found in the Bible. Some other answers that, oh, you know, God just loves the children so much, his grace would not allow it. But once again, that that's nowhere in the Bible, and it seems to go against texts like Romans 5.12. Another way to view the translation of death came to all men because all sinned would kind of be the same original sin view that Augustine had, that because all sinned in the past tense would imply that when Adam sinned, we sin, and, and we'd be back to the same problem with how does Jesus get off the hook for this if he's 100% man like we believe he is? Now, there is another option, and this, this is a new option that, that I've been studying, and there is scholarly backing on this, and this is very interesting. So, we take the word that we normally translate because, and it's that Greek preposition of epi. And there's some scholars that would argue that this translation should actually read in the English to say, on the basis of which, or therefore. Now, what does that mean? That means if, if that's the case, if that translation is true, then that means that the verse would actually read, so death spread to all men, on the basis of which all sinned. I know this sounds weird, it, it, and it goes against, honestly, what, what we've been told for so long, but this is a fair translation of that preposition in that phrase. Now, now this is important. What does this mean? Because this does change how we understand Romans 5.12. Well, what this would mean, if we were to just paraphrase Romans 5.12 with this translation, it would mean that everyone sins because death spread to all men. I'm going to say that again. Everyone sins because death spread to all men. Now, Dr. Michael Heiser kind of explains this a little bit better than I can. So I'm going to read an excerpt of what he wrote. He said, what passed to all of humanity as a result of Adam's sin was mortality and death. 
That is what the text says. This means that humanity lost immortality. It also means, going back to the Genesis story, that humans were driven from the presence of God in an ideal heaven-meets-earth environment. They were on their own. Left to their own as non-divine mortals, the result is that all humans, born from that point on, were born into those conditions. If they are allowed to live a normal lifespan, this means that all humans will sin and incur guilt before God. No human cannot not sin. Sin would be universal and inevitable for all humans who get to live some measure of a lifespan where they can choose to rebel against God, i.e. sin. Now, honestly, I'm still parsing this out. And th- th- this admittedly is a new reading um, of Romans 5.12 that, that I haven't heard a lot of. But I'm going to be honest with you, this does offer some solutions to some of the problems that we have seen with the doctrine of original sin that we are just all guilty at birth without actually doing something of our own to require that guilt. So it offers a few things. One, it offers a straightforward, honest reading of verse 12. I honestly do believe that. There's no trickery. The translation is an honest reading of verse 12. And two, It answers some originally tough questions about the death of infants and children, and it answers the problem that we originally had with Jesus. Because one, this view does not impart guilt on every human a priori. It does not just say you're born and you have sin and guilt, therefore you're bound to death. So the problem of Jesus being guilty of Adam's sin is no longer an issue if we understand verse 12 in this light. And it also answers the problem regarding the death of infants and children, because under original sin, that doctrine, all babies would be guilty before God because of Adam's sin. Therefore, since they couldn't believe in God, they couldn't be in his presence. And this is hard to reconcile. But under this alternative understanding of verse 12, the infants and the children wouldn't be guilty because they had not yet committed a conscious decision to rebel against God. Now, had they had a chance to live a full life, just like every other human being in our sinful nature, they would inevitably sin against God. But since they are infants and children and they don't have a way of comprehending and and knowingly rebel against God, they would not incur guilt, therefore not be faced with an eternal death. I think that is a very honest reading of verse 12, and it deals with the whole scope of the problem of original sin. All right, I know that ooh, that was 15 minutes on verse 12. All right, we're going to move on. Verse 15, Paul goes on and says, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. These nine words hold tremendous power in verse 15. When he says, but the, free gri- but the free gift is not like the trespass. You know, it could easily say, if I'm paraphrasing, that the power of God is nothing like the power of death. The power of God far outweighs the power of death. There's no comparison. God's power is far greater than any evil that we can conceive of. See, the power of sin brought death and mortality into our world. And death honestly seems to be the only thing that can't be defeated. That, that's the one inevitable, that you will face death. But Jesus flips the script. Not only did Jesus defeat death 
for himself when he resurrected, but he also defeated it for all who receive him. We no longer face the problem of eternal death because we have eternal life in Jesus. I love this. This is what Paul is saying is so powerful that evil cannot outweigh God's goodness. That should make us happy, knowing that no matter what struggle we're going through, no amount of evil, not even death, can outweigh the goodness of God. I love, too, how Paul compares the the first Adam with Jesus, who is the second Adam. I'm going to read it again just so we don't miss it. He says, For if many died through one man's trespass, that's the first Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Jesus is the last Adam. And he uh, even kind of mentions this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. He says, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam, which is Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. In this comparison, it's a comparison and contrast in a sense. And it's so cool. Look how these two Adams compare. One Adam was fully man. The other Adam was fully man and God. One Adam acted out of rebellion. The other Adam acted out of obedience. One Adam's action affected all of mankind. The last Adam's action affected all of mankind. One Adam's act brought death to all, and the last Adam's act brought life to all who want to receive it. I love the comparison of the first Adam and Jesus being the last Adam because it just shows the entire narrative and the entire cycle of the Bible coming into fruition in one man, Jesus Christ, who paid and reversed the effects that the first Adam had on humanity. Oh, that's so cool. All right, verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You know, the death brought upon humanity from Adam's sin is a reality that we have to deal with. There's nothing we can do about it. We have to deal with this reality that as human beings, we face mortality because of the sin of Adam. But we also can't just blame Adam for everything because we need to take responsibility for our own actions. Look, we all sin. And because of that, we are in need of a savior. And this is why Paul says that we have a savior and he gives us the free gift of righteousness. Now, when Paul is saying free gift of righteousness, obviously this applies to us. Yes. Awesome. But what Paul is doing, I don't want to miss what he's doing. He is affirming again for the Jewish believers in Rome that righteousness is obtained freely in Jesus Christ, not by any works of the law. This is a continual problem that Paul is just whittling away in every chapter of Romans. We we talked about this a few chapters back on the podcast. If you haven't listened to it, you should. But Paul is addressing the, this amalgamation of Jew and Gentile believers in Rome. And the Jewish believers are looking at the Gentiles saying, Yo, God gave us the Torah. You need to follow the law of the Torah. 
And if you don't, you're not going to be righteous. And so Paul's continuing to have to hammer away at the fact that the law no longer applies for our righteousness. Jesus paid for that. And the only way to gain righteousness is to get it by receiving the free gift that Jesus gave. See, the first Adam took away our ability to be righteous by our own ability. When he sinned, he set the course. But Jesus came onto the scene as the last Adam. And he's fixing and picking up all the pieces that were broken because of Adam's first sin. And you no longer have to follow the 613 commandments of the Torah to be right with God. The the law no longer is able to expose your sin because you are now found under the law of Christ. And because of what Christ did on the cross, you receive this free gift. And this is what Paul is just hammering away at for these Jewish believers. He wants them to understand this. And he continues on in verse 18. He says, therefore... As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. All right, there's a few things we need to point out here. When Paul says all men in verse 18, I'm going to read again. He says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, this condemnation of death extends to every man and woman. You you can't avoid it. It's not possible. Now, I say condemnation of death because Paul can't be talking about condemnation of guilt or sin. We may think that that's what Paul is talking about, especially since in verse 12, he's talking about how we all now sin. So you would think that when he's talking about condemnation for all men, that it would be sin. But I don't think Paul is talking about sin being the condemnation for all men. I think it's talking about death, and here's why. Because the very next verse, in verse 19, he goes on to say that many were made sinners. So you can't have in verse 18, Paul saying that condemnation for sin is to all men, but then in verse 19 he says, oh, but only many will be sinners. So so they can't be the same. So that's why I think he's talking about condemnation of death, because all men face mortality and death. But many are made sinners. The ones who aren't made sinners are the ones who unfortunately weren't able to live in this world. They died at a young age. That that would be under the view of the um, new translation of Romans 5 verse 12. All right. So right after Paul says that condemnation is passed on to all men, He juxtaposes that and says, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Now, I don't think we should understand this in a universalism type sense, meaning that all men and women are justified. Now, here's why. Because we know clearly that everyone on this planet, in fact, is not justified. We know that the only ones who are justified are those who accept Jesus Christ and are made right with God. The Bible is very clear on that, that the only way to the Father is through Jesus, that through Jesus and what he did on the cross, we are made right with God. So I don't think what Paul is saying is that what Jesus did means that every person, regardless of if they accept Jesus or not, 
is justified. I think what it's meaning is that this justification and this opportunity for eternal life in the presence of God is accessible to all men. Every single one of us has the opportunity to believe in Christ and to be made right with God through faith in Jesus. And and how do we know this? How can we say this to be true? Well, he finishes and says that so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So the opportunity of righteousness and justification from Jesus, that opportunity is given to all men and women. Everybody has that opportunity. But as Paul finishes, he says, only the many will be made righteous. Only those who accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will be the righteous ones. Man, I hope y'all enjoyed this scripture study. I hope you could follow along. We had a lot of different translations and understandings of these verses that I was trying to parse out, but I think we got through it. I think we did. I am so excited to see y'all on the next episode. Y'all have a great week. All right, peace out.